So have, have you ever heard of something like over and over and over again, you hear about it um, like forever? I mean, like since I was in junior high, I have had people talk to me from my family, from the church, uh, about a season that happened in the life of the church. It started in a college campus in Wilmore, Kentucky, on the campus of Asbury College. Started in 1970. A group of college students praying together in Hughes Chapel. A, a, a sense of God's presence being so sweet and so real that they just continued to stay, to linger, to be there. And, and then a, a group of those students decided, you know what, this is so good, we need to share it with some other college students. And so they began to go out to other campuses and and a group of them came here to Anderson. Uh, a dear friend of mine who's since gone to be with the Lord, Dr. Charles Tarr, was the pastor at the South Meridian Church here in Anderson at the time. And a group of the students approached him and said, could we just use the sanctuary? And they began to meet and to pray. And God began to pour his spirit out upon them for two months every day. People gathered and they prayed. And, and lives were changed, relationships were healed. In talking with Dr. Tarr about it one time, I, I asked him, I said, so what, what did you do? He said, I didn't do anything. I just watched what God was doing. I know that there are some of you in the room right now and some watching us online who are in those meetings. You've talked to me about what happened in your life. So can you imagine what's going through my mind when I've heard something for over 50 years? And a few months ago, God began to place on my heart to conclude this series called More Than a Story with a parable that is about what it means to be honest before God. Can you imagine what it's going on in my head and my heart when on Thursday of this week, I began to get information, text messages, emails, that on the campus of Asbury, University now in Wilmore, Kentucky, in the same room that 53 years ago college students began to pray. That since Wednesday of this week, since chapel concluded on Wednesday at Asbury University, there have been people experiencing an outpouring of God's love and grace and mercy in a way that they have never experienced it before. And, the, and the, the, the worship, the prayer, the testimonies, the healing, the restoration has, has continued 
24-7 until even right now as we speak. Can you imagine what it means to me as a pastor to know that about 12 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, a member of this congregation named Kevin Brown and his wife Maria, who were, he was a professor in the Falls School of Business at Anderson University. Kevin just had been selected to our board of elders. And he called me to say, Pastor, the, the, the president at Asbury University has asked me to come and be a part of establishing their school of business and, and adding some new things to it. And I just feel like this is what God is asking me to do. And to know that four years ago, in 2019, upon the retirement of the president from, from Asbury University, Dr. Kevin Brown became the president of Asbury University. So when I began to get these emails and text messages and see some postings on social media, I, I reached out to Dr. Brown, to Kevin, and said, hey, Kev, I'm praying for you, man. Because what I'm, what I'm hearing is that this is happening in, in your presence under your watch as the leader. And within a few moments, the message came back, and I have his permission to share it. This communication came on Friday morning. Hi, Carrie. So great to hear from you. It is truly unbelievable. We are now on 50 hours of chapel. Okay, there's some college students I know that just had a heart attack. <laughs> 50 hours of chapel. I stand amazed. There has been worship, prayer, confession, testimony, and a sweet, blessed spirit in the room. Thank you for reaching out and praying. I appreciate you and Eastside Church. This morning, I have so many emotions because I, I know what God has asked me to share and I know that he asked me to share it months ago. And now with what he is doing in Wilmore, Kentucky, it is this confirmation because I know Kevin Brown and I know other people in that university setting. I also have talked with a few Anderson University students who, who made their way to Asbury yesterday and spent seven hours at Hughes Chapel. In fact, the guy I talked to, I'm not sure he's ever been to chapel at AU for seven hours, but he, he was at chapel at Asbury yesterday for seven hours. And, and the deal is, I understand that God's Holy Spirit is very powerfully working. And by the way, this is not just happening at Asbury today. It's also going on at Ohio Christian University over in Ohio, at a university up in Minnesota 
It's even, for some of you, I mean, for the real doubters in the room, there are students from the University of Kentucky, a state public institution, who have begun the same, who've been over to Asbury and have come back to the University of Kentucky. Revival is breaking out. Now, here's what I want you to know. Some of you have been praying for it for your entire life. Some of you who are further down the path of walking with Jesus than I am have prayed for revival. And now revival is beginning in a generation raised in a totally different way. And yet, the same God, you just sang about it. The same God of Moses, the same God of Mary, the same God of the Bible is the God today. And he is at work. Now, before you become too critical of anything that happens, let me, let me remind you of what a very wise southern preacher told me many years ago when I was sitting in a room like you're sitting in today. And he said to the group of us, if you want revival to happen in your church or revival to happen in your life, draw a circle on the floor, step into the middle of the circle and pray, God, bring revival in this circle. This is not something that happens when you just observe it. This is something that has to happen inside of you. And so I, I want to encourage you to join me in praying that what is going on on these college campuses as an act of the Holy Spirit of God will continue, not just on college campuses and not just in churches, but around the world in businesses, in places where the name of Jesus has never even been spoken the Spirit of God is already there. In places that have fought the truth of who God is, in philosophies that have, that have torn the soul of the world apart, that God would bring his presence in such a real way. And by the way, someone would say to me, how do you know when something is of God and is of not? It, it's really simple. There are two things you'll know. Number one, no one who is of God ever says, Jesus, be cursed. Jesus will always be lifted up over any human being in anything that is designed by God. Every time. If it's not Jesus, it's not his, okay? So know that. Second thing is this. There will be a sweetness, not an anger. There will be a, a joy. There will be a peace. When you're in the presence of God, yes, he's awesome. Yes, he's overwhelming. Yes, he's holy, and you are not. And the initial reaction may be, I don't think I belong here. But what you will experience will be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. Because those are the things that are the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, sometimes I think we forget about the fact that, that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. When you read in John chapter 14 and 15 and 16, and Jesus promises that he will send his Spirit 
to be with us. The Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, their attributes, their personality, their, their essence is the same. So this morning, we want to wrap this series up talking about a parable that has been used and misused. A parable that some of you know very, very well, but it's a parable that, it's a parable that, that I think draws us into an understanding of what it means to be authentically honest. To have an, 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 an honest authenticity, <laughs> to, to, to be able to be who we are at the core of our being, not to put on an image, not to try to convince people of our spirituality, not to try to be more than, than God has made us to be, but to be real with him. And... I love the fact that when Luke records this story, he tells us why, right off the bat, Jesus told the story. He, he states it right up front. The story is recorded in Luke chapter 18. It starts in verse 9. And if you've got a Bible with me, I want, with you, I'm going to ask you to, if you want to read with me, pull your Bible out. Or if you don't have one, you'd like one, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. If you've got it on your digital device, I'm going to give you a minute to open it up. Go to, to Luke 18, verse 9. Or if you just want to follow along on the screens while I read. But I want you to hear this story and know it is more than a story. It is the definitive statement of what it means to live into the presence of God in your life. Listen from John chapter 18, verse nine. Jesus also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, other people, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector standing here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the first man. For everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled, but the one who humbles themselves will be exalted. Now, Jesus tells this parable to people who were thinking they were righteous. And they were trusting not in God's righteousness in them, but in their own righteousness, in their own works, in their own efforts. And he, he tells them the parable so that they would begin to understand what it means to come before God in the kind of authenticity, the kind of honesty that it takes for your life to be totally changed. See, one of the reasons I, I read Kevin Brown's message back to me 
to you this morning is because one of the things I know about Kevin and Maria is I know, having been their pastor for a number of years, I know of their authenticity. I know of their honesty before God. I know of their lack of pretense. I know that one of the pictures that came across my social media faith, uh, last night was a picture of Dr. Kevin Brown, author, president of the university, published in Christianity Today quite recently, actually, in a wonderful article about artificial intelligence and its impact on, on the academic world. I know the brilliance of the man, but I also know the integrity of the man and his family. And I know that the picture that came across the feed of the president of the university on his knees and a group of students around him with their hands laid upon him is an authentic representation of the way Kevin lives his life. And what I want you to understand is that when Jesus told this parable, he's laying out for us in the juxtaposition of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the difference between people who are religious and pretend and image-driven and think that by their actions and their holiness of, of effort that they can create the holiness of God. When the reality is, it's only through the reaction of those of us who have been humbled that we end up experiencing the presence of God. So if we're gonna be authentically honest, we need to follow the pattern that's in this story. Now the first thing is Jesus told it for this reason, so that people who think they're better than they are and look down at other people with contempt can discover that that's not the best way to be who God made them to be. I don't know if you've ever experienced someone else's contempt or not. I went to eight different schools before I got out of high school. I was the new kid eight different times. Actually, seven times before I got out of the eighth grade. Because I only went to one high school. And I, I know what it's like to try to fit, find your way through. In fact, here's, here's something for you. You want to know a definition of, of adolescent hell? I went to two different middle schools. I, I had to find my way in and find the place I belong in two different schools in totally different states between the age of 13 and 14 in, in, in a matter of 24 months. You, you, it takes a whole lot of prayer and some therapy <laughs> to work your way out of that. I understand. I've been looked down upon. And by the way, I also know the temptation and have been guilty of doing the same thing of saying, well, God, I may not be as good as them, but thank you, I'm not as bad as those guys. I still remember the time in Jackson, Mississippi, when I was the only white guy in a choir, the, the only white guy in the choir. That, therefore, my nickname was Spot, okay? And a brother came walking up and our school was just a few miles from Jackson State University where, where there had just been riots, major riots, um, that if you read your history books, you'll, you'll know there were, there were college students killed unjustly by the Jackson police. That, doesn't, that didn't just start happening in your world today. It's been going on a long time. And, and I remember this, this guy coming through, friend actually, 
And as he came up the risers into our choir loft for practice, and he leaned over, and there's a, there's a gun in his, in, in his shirt. Just as he kind of leaned over it it, 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 it revealed itself. And he looked at me and said, you didn't see anything, did you, spy? No, sir. No, sir. I didn't see anything. I, 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 I've been the guy who's tried to fit in to a different culture. And, 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 and I've been the guy who's looked at God and said, man, God, thank you that I'm not like that. And in this story, we find both of them. Because here's what authentic life really looks like. You see, in order to be authentic, in order to be, really be who you were created to be, you've got to be self-aware. You, you've, got to, you've got to know what's going on in your life. See, authentic honesty requires us to, to, to be honest about who we really are. See, when, when these two men went up to pray, and Jesus is telling the story, he says to people, hey, look, you, you, you need to know. You need to know that a Pharisee and a tax collector went up to pray. Now, the moment Jesus said that, everybody in the room had a mental image. First of all, for the Pharisee, they had this image of someone who does everything right. They've studied the scriptures. They, they wear the right clothes. They, they say the right words. They, they know the right prayers. They, they do everything right. They're successful. And then when he said the word tax collector, their immediate response, their, their image was outcast, traitor, despicable. I find it amazingly interesting that when you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you keep finding Jesus in controversy with the Pharisees and in league with the tax collectors. I mean, Matthew was a tax collector. His name was Levi then. He was a tax collector. Jesus walks by. Hey, Levi. Come follow me. Levi, Matthew, leaves the tax collecting, comes over to follow Jesus. Oh, and then, by the way, throws a party for all of his friends. Who the Pharisees look at and go with contempt. Why in the world is Jesus eating with these people? Or maybe, maybe it's the story of, Zac of Zacchaeus. You remember that one? If you, went to, if you ever went to Bible school or you ever went to, to children's church somewhere and somebody taught you a song, remember? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. Now, the way I learned it was, because I'm going to your house for tea, but I lived in Mississippi. We, we drank sweet tea, but nobody had tea. I'm figuring an English guy wrote the song. That's all I can figure, all right? But what I also know is Zacchaeus was a tax collector and nobody liked him. And what Jesus does when he starts telling the story to people who are looking down on other people because the people think they're righteous by their own efforts and they're looking with contempt on others is immediately he draws it out and says, no, on the one hand, you've got the people who are religious and who have all the religious language and who have all the spiritualization of their talk and they're, gonna, they're filled with God. And then you've got the people that aren't. And when they come up to the temple, did you hear it? When, when, when they came to the temple, the two men both came up to the same temple. The Pharisee follows all the religious rules. He goes to the front of the temple. 
He says his prayers out loud. The Pharisees were known for praying out loud. That's why Jesus in another place says to them, when you pray, when he's talking to his disciples, when you pray, you go into your closet and you pray to your Father in heaven who knows you and who understands you. You don't stand on the street corner and pray your prayers so everybody thinks you're religious. See, some of y'all think that just started in the 21st century. It didn't. It was going on in the first century. You know, only now we get podcasts, right? People who want us to think they're religious, want us to think about, you know, they got a book, they got a podcast, whatever. But the fact is, we, God calls us to be aware of who we are and who we are in relationship to the people around us. You see, authenticity requires honesty about our relationships with the people around us. The, the places where we look down at somebody or somebody looks down at us, the places where the relationship has been broken, the places where there's, where there's this sense that, that it doesn't, it, it, it's just not quite right. The family member who always gets under your skin, the, the, the classmate or the coworker who, who's always an irritant to you. See, that's what the Pharisee's doing. He's standing in front going, God, God, I, I just want to thank you. Did you hear it? I want to thank you that I'm not like these other people. I'm not like these people who steal money from other people. I'm not like these adulterous people. God, I, I want you to know. See, when Jesus said, Pharisee and a tax collector went up to the temple, the crowd immediately understood there's a break in that relationship. Immediately, there's a break in that relationship. See, if we're gonna be authentic, we gotta acknowledge that. We've gotta acknowledge where the broken places are. We've gotta acknowledge where the, where the places of being wounded are. We can't cover it up with religious language. We can't cover it up with acts of benevolence or acts of worship or acts of those. No, 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 listen. Before we can do any of those things, and those are not bad things, before we can do any of that, we've got to be honest about our relationship to ourself and our relationships with those around us. I mean, l listen to the way Jesus says it again. Tax collector, Pharisee, went up to the temple to pray. See, Jesus is telling people two different types of people come into the presence of God. Which one are you going to choose to be? Because see, the same authenticity that comes from being honest about who you are, about who, you're, who you really are deep inside, and your relationships with other people will also tell you about the relationships you have with God. See, you, you've got you've to hear what the people heard. They heard Pharisee, they heard good person. In fact, the prayer that was prayed that Jesus talks about here, where the man prays and says, God, I thank you that I'm not, that was a normal prayer for a Pharisee. That was considered a good religious prayer. God, you have blessed me. You've not made me like these other people. 
who do these horrible things. You've made me a good person, and I thank you for making me a good person. And God, I thank you that, that you have given me these things that I can now do. And, and by the way, here's, here's the really cool thing about this. In this prayer, when he says, I fast twice a week, do you know what a, a, a Jewish person was required to fast? How much they were required to fast in those days? No, no they, were, they were required to fast one full day a year. And this guy's going, I'm fasting two times a week. I'm a hundred times better than I have to be. And, and by the way, God, let me remind you that I tithe off everything I get. Now, you've got to understand, fasting is not bad. Tithing is not bad. Both of them are put in place for you to realize that God is your creator and God is your sustainer. See, tithing is not to sustain the church and fasting is not to make you spiritual. Fasting and tithing are both a response to the love and mercy and grace of God. So to fast from food or to fast from social media or to fast from anything you choose not to do in, time in order to put more focus on your relationship with God that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. God gave you that spiritual discipline to utilize to help you connect, to tithe. To tithe is simply to say to God, hey, God, look, I know you give me everything, everything I've got. And all you ask me to do is to take 10% of it and put it back to you, to give it back to you. 90%, 90%, I can live on that and be just fine because you provide so much for me. And I'll have to tell you, both of those spiritual disciplines were not intended to increase the image that you have. They were given in order to increase your dependency upon God, your recognition that God is the sustainer. He woke you up this morning. He gave you breath. He gave you life. And so this man is standing in front of God and what he's basically doing is he's taking credit for what God does. Hey God, I thank you that I'm not this and I'm not that. I thank you that I'm not. He's, he's, got, he's got all of this stuff put into a, to a, to a religious system. And it was a normal prayer for the Pharisees to pray that way. So when Jesus starts this parable and he's telling them the story and these people are going, okay, you got a Pharisee and a tax collector. Okay, Pharisee's praying just like a Pharisee would pray. And the tax collector, okay. the tax collector is even better because what he's doing, this is fun. He's actually more biblical than the Pharisee. He's actually quoting more scripture than the Pharisee. And, and when Jesus says, he's standing in the back and he's got his eyes down and he's beating his chest and he's saying, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. When the people heard that, when Jesus is telling the parable and he, and he tells them, and he's standing in the back He's not up at the front with the Pharisee. He's, he's in the back of the room like he doesn't even really feel like he belongs there. 
Maybe you've felt that way sometime in your life. I have people every once in a while tell me they'll visit church and somebody I've met in the community, I've invited them to church or something, they'll come in and they'll go, well, the, 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 the roof didn't fall in. I came to church and the roof, I said, the roof isn't gonna fall in when you come to church. God loves you. See, they're expecting to be guilted and, and this, man is, this man is standing in the back and he's, he's pounding his chest, which by the way, when you pound your chest, you're basically pounding your heart, which for a first century Jewish person was the seat of all of their being. And, and what he's doing by looking down and pounding, and he, and he says, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's quoting Psalm 51. Psalm 51.1. And he's saying, God, have mercy on me. And when Jesus is telling the parable and the people hear it, they're going, honestly, they're having this reaction like, what in the world? Tax collectors quoting Psalm 51.1? Jesus, that's ridiculous. Tax collectors don't even know Psalm 51.1. No, no, no. He's quoting Psalm 51.1. And some of you are listening, oh, why, why is that important? Here's why. Psalm 51.1, in fact, the entire psalm is the psalm, the song that David, the king, wrote after he had had an affair with Bathsheba, after he had had her husband killed, after he had brought her into the palace to marry her, after she had become pregnant with his child, after he had been Taking, I was like covering up this whole mess, this whole sordid mess he had made. And after Nathan the prophet walked into the throne room and said to him, hey king, there were, there were once two men that lived next to each other. One was very wealthy, he had lots and lots of sheep. The other one only had one little lamb that they loved with all their heart. And king, would you believe that that wealthy man with all the sheep was gonna have a dinner for his friends and he went across the fence and he picked up the lamb from the man who only had one lamb. And he slaughtered that lamb and he fed it to his friends. Instead of doing what he should have done out of his own resources, he stole from somebody else. And King David stands up and goes, show me where the man is. I'll make him pay for that. And Nathan looks at him and goes, you're the man. You're the guy. You did that. And suddenly David knew everybody, everybody understood. He just thought he was covering it up. And it's then David wrote Psalm 51. Oh God, have mercy on me. For I have not just sinned against you, I've sinned against everybody. From my mother's womb, I've been a sinner. I was created in sin. God, have mercy on me. When Jesus tells them that the tax collector is saying, oh God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. He's saying the tax collector is more biblical than the Pharisee. Because that Pharisaical prayer is not one that's really found anywhere. It's that prayer for forgiveness, for mercy. And if we're gonna be authentic, if we're gonna have authentic revival, if we're gonna experience the presence of God, then it requires us to be aware of ourselves and to be honest about who we are. And it requires us to be honest 
about our relationships with others, and more than anything, it requires us to be honest about our relationship with God. And that's, that's why. That's why in the parable, the tax collector says, oh God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And then Jesus turns to the crowd, the people he's talking to. And did you hear it? He doesn't ask the question. He just tells them. So let me tell you which one of these guys went home that day justified before God. It wasn't the Pharisee. It was the tax collector. Because you see, authentic honesty grows from and creates humility in our lives. And that's why Jesus says very clearly, the one of you who thinks that they're going to exalt themselves will actually be humbled, but the one of you that humbles themselves will actually become exalted. And it, it's still coming out of Psalm 51. I'd encourage you to to include that in your devotions this week, in your Bible study. If you don't have devotions, you don't have Bible study, just find a Bible this week sometime and find the, the book of Psalms and go to Psalm 51 and read it because here's what you're gonna find. That same David who, who I was telling you did all these things and then was confronted and then, then came to God and said, God, I'm, forgive me, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner against everybody. In, in the 17th verse of Psalm 51, he says this. It's an amazing statement. He says, God, you don't really want, you, you don't really want to have sacrifices from goats and lambs. And what you really value is a broken and contrite heart. See, what, what brings revival, what, what brings the experience of the presence of God that is so sweet and that's almost tangible is this place where you become so honest with God and so honest with yourself and so honest about your relationships with others that you stand like the tax collector in the back of the temple and you say, I'm not even sure I belong here. I've tried to, I've tried to create an image. Every time I think of the Pharisee, I, I, I kind of think of the old movie, The Wizard of Oz, where Dorothy and Toto and this tin man and the straw scarecrow and the lion have been on the yellow brick road on a journey to find the wizard, the wonderful Wizard of Oz. You remember the scene where they get there? And there's this huge curtain, and the powerful Oz is talking, and then the dog runs underneath the curtain. And somebody pulls the curtain back, and behind that curtain, behind the big and powerful Oz, there's this little bitty dude. And he's pulling levers on all kinds of things to make people think he's big and powerful. I think that's the way Pharisees are. I think that's the way super religious people are. I think that's the way inauthentic people are. But the people of God, the people of God are people who are standing, heads bowed, pounding their chest, confessing. That's why I love what Dr. Brown wrote. And Kevin wrote, Carrie, pastor, there's, 
There's confession. There's healing. There's restoration. See, for me, that's how you know you're in the presence of God. When you've been humbled to the place where your spirit is broken and contrite, and you're willing to say to God, Have mercy on me. Have mercy. And you lay all that other stuff down. And you say to him, here I am. That's when you will go home justified. Would you stand with me on campus? Let's sing together. We were winged without hope, without light, till from heaven you came running. There was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets. To a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. Souls of all who come to the 
Would you pray with me? Abba, Papa, Heavenly Father, forgive us for the times when we've tried to convince you how good we are, when we've been people who've become religious at the sake of our relationship with you. And this morning, Lord, our prayer is that you would continue to pour your spirit out, that you'd continue to to give us opportunity to experience your grace and your love and your mercy. For Dr. Brown and the faculty and staff and the church gathered in Hughes Chapel and for the students at Ohio Christian and University of Kentucky and up in Minnesota. For any place that, that this spark of light might come, this flame of your spirit. For students from Anderson University who've, who've already made a trip to, to Asbury to experience this. God, our prayer is that what you're doing there, you would do here. That what you're doing in others, you would do in us. That you would call us to an authenticity, that you would call us to, a, to an experience of you that is sweet, loving, filled with mercy and grace. God, may we be tax collectors in the back of the room who are honest with you and go home justified. For it's in the strong name of Jesus Christ that we pray.